Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Acts, chapter 1. You know, for the last, gosh, ever since, I can't remember when it was, I just noticed the change here the last year or two or three even. It's just that everything that comes this way is just loaded with revelation, with anointing. It's very, very powerful. I don't think you're uh, an inch behind anyone when it comes to what God is saying to his body at these days. I just don't believe it. Uh, it's just incredible. Everybody has their A game as they come into this place. and It's been truly amazing. All right, so Acts chapter 1. Uh, let's just pick it up here. How does God bring these types of things to his body? He's always brought them throughout time. And uh, when Jesus came, he, he really crystallized it for us from that time forward. When Jesus died and was raised again, then he promised that he would send the Holy Spirit to take his place and that he would stay with us for the rest of time. He would never leave us. And so and he's doing this now. He's, he's making that promise to these guys that he's going to take over the kingdom from him. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? That's asking for a revelation. And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And here's the result of that Spirit coming upon them. You shall be witnesses to me. That's the, that's the result. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the rest of the earth. So when he comes, the fruit of his coming should be that we will become the mouthpiece of God, the witnesses to Jesus, or for Jesus. The word is martus, means to testify, to be a witness of, to give your account of what happened, because you saw it. You, were, you actually experienced that thing. Now, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we get one more little nugget here about that working. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul was one of those witnesses. He wasn't, just, he wasn't one of the original 12 or even of the original 11 plus the one that made 12 in the, in the book of Acts. He was a later apostle that came along. He, too, was a witness. In fact, he had amazing witnesses, probably more than the rest of them put together. But in Acts chapter, I mean, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he writes about how it works. Verse 6, he says, We speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. In a mystery. Now, folks, let me tell you something. God has always had a plan of redemption. He has always, in, in his heart, had this master plan of bringing us back to him. Even before we failed him, the plan was in place. The Bible says that Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the earth. So before there ever was an earth, he already had his plan for our failure, and then our salvation coming out of that. It's an amazing thing, really. Okay? He's always had this master plan of redemption. And over the, over the ages, he has revealed that plan to people. 
bits and pieces to his people. And Jesus then calls them the witnesses. Here's how it has always worked. It's not the wisdom or the knowledge that we have down here on this earth. It's, It's a mystery. It's up in heaven. We didn't know. We don't know any of it except what he has revealed to us along life's way, along history of man. Those are the things we know only because he showed them to us. So they're not native to us being born as a person. We just don't know. This is something we don't know. But he wants us to know here and there. Seven, we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom of which God ordained before the ages for our glory. So before there was anything, it was for our glory. Verse 8, which none of the rulers of this age knew. Those are demonic forces. The rulers of this age, they did not know this plan and the wisdom of the mystery. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Why? Because the crucifying the Lord of glory was part of the plan. They did not know it. And they got sucker punched because of that. But it is, as it is written, eyes not seen nor ear heard, nor has it entered the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Here's how he does it. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. It's the spirit that does it, that reveals it. For the spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of man except the spirit of the man which is in him. Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. We know that the demonic realm didn't know it or they wouldn't have crucified him. People don't know it. Look at verse 14. The natural man, that'd be us, does not know or does not receive the things of the spirit of God. They are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So here's the point. The mystery of God's plan to salvation and redemption was hidden in God. No one knew it. Demons fight it. Normal people resist it and do not receive it. So when you're in your carnal mode, when you're thinking like a human as opposed to a son of God, when the mystery is being revealed, it's just like a clanging symbol to you. Have you ever been in a church service where all these people have their hands lifted up and praising God and you're right next to them and your hands are down here going, what's going on? Guess who's in carnality at that moment? Guess. <laughs> yeah, really. Some are getting it. Some aren't getting it. Some are in the spirit and they're getting it. And others who are not in the spirit but they're in their carnal state, they just flat don't get it. And they think it's kind of crazy. Am I right? And if you'd like to live in the carnality mode, go to a low-level denominational church. I hate to be crude or rude, but that's where it, you can be safe there. You can sit on the back row, keep your hands down like this. I ain't receiving nothing, and you won't. You're safe. Entire denominations live that way. That's the truth. Not being rude, but that's the truth. You're not in one of those churches. Okay, so get ready. <laughs> We're going to show you stuff today. All right, he wants to show it to us. That's the whole point. All right. Now, in, there is this plan. All right, so this plan of salvation, again, has been revealed piece by piece by piece throughout time. 
At first, I didn't really understand that it was a that there was going to be a God man to come to earth called the Messiah. They didn't get that. They they thought it was a man down here. They thought maybe Moses was it. They thought maybe David was it. They thought Hezekiah might be it. It finally began to crystallize. No, we're talking about a guy who was going to be born at some point. And there's something about a virgin. But even that they didn't quite get. Because when it happened, they just totally missed the moment. It was unveiled little by little. Now, the fullness of that mystery, that plan of salvation, that plan of redemption, we see in the book of Revelation, chapter 19. Turn there. This is the pinnacle of the revelation, which I I will tell you was not seen for thousands of years. And is just now being truly brought out in spades. Everybody seems to be focusing that direction. It's about a wedding. The whole fullness of the plan culminates in this pink event called the bride and the bridegroom go to the wedding. And we're the bride. Verse nine, chapter 19, verse 6. I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thunders, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. The marriage of Jesus has come, and his wife, us, the church, the bride, is ready. And it was to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. Now, I fell at his feet to worship him. But then he said to me, See that you do not do that. For I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is a spirit of prophecy. Now, we'll go back to verse 10 in a minute. But we can say this about verse 10. The God that's revealing this pinnacle revelation of what this all is going to end up being has the testimony of Jesus. Jesus said to his 12, you are my witnesses. You are the guys with the testimony. I have a revelation that I want to give it out. I want to give it out through people like you. And the guy who has this peak revelation, well, actually it was an angel, he too has that testimony for Jesus. And he calls it the spirit of prophecy. The spirit of prophecy should always point to Jesus. Should always point to who he is. And nothing else. That's a big test. Now, when he comes, all we know is that the bride has made herself ready in this verse right here. Correct? That's what we know. She's made herself ready. What does that even look like? What does the bride look like to make herself ready for the king of kings? Well, look at First John chapter 3. These are scriptures we've read many times lately, so we're just going to blow through them. First John chapter 3. Verse 2. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, who's he? Jesus. We shall be like him. 
for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Here's my point. The bride making herself ready in the book of Revelation. You know, these two books were written by the same guy. And if I'm not mistaken, this book was the last book that he wrote. First and second and third John. Am I right on that? I think Revelation was written before this. So in Revelation, he was told the bride has made herself ready. But we don't know what that looks like. She made herself ready. Here he says, let me tell you how it's going to look. When he comes back, that bride, yeah, she's ready. She's going to be just like him. Think, think about that. Just like him. Just like he is in holiness. Just like that. Wow. Just like he is in purpose. Just like he is in purity. Just like he is in his uh, way of dealing with people. Just like he is in his authority and power. Just like him. That's the way it's going to be at the end. Are we there? No. But let me tell you, there is a deal called the spirit of prophecy that's going to get us there. The same spirit of prophecy that told John there's a bride and she's going to make herself ready and she's going to be just like him is going to tell us how to get there. All right? So we know that there's a way to, to get there. And we're going, to, we're going to talk about that today. Now, the first part of it is that Jesus is looking for his witnesses all the way through. He started his, his kingdom with 12. You are my witnesses. And he's going to end with a lot of witnesses. All right? A lot of witnesses as to who he is. There's a way to become a witness, people. And you guys have been, have been in the process of being trained for that without you really even knowing it. But it's been going on with most of you for a long time. And I want to talk to you today about your life and what it should have produced in your life. There is a pathway to becoming a witness. Let me tell you what that pathway looks like. I'll just give you some scriptures. We shall start out, you don't have to, you, you can go there later, with Psalms 139. Psalms 139 says that all my days were fashioned before me, before there were any of them. You wrote them in your book. Before that I was even created, God had a plan for my life. And all the days of my life, he wrote them. So that started my walk with God. Here's another good scripture for that end. Jeremiah 29:11. I know the thoughts I have for you. Thoughts of the future and of hope, right? So he has a plan for my life before there was ever a day created, before I was even born. He thought about me. Before, while I was in the womb, he knew me. And he was trying to project me down this path of life, the path of my calling for his glory. All right? That's where I'm going. And guess what we do? We screw it up. Right? And somewhere along that path, he has to get us back. And then, it, but it keeps on going. Turn with me to Romans 8. Even though I, I screw it up, and I'm, I would just about to say that all of us have done that. I mean, the ones I know about you, yeah, you did that. Or did you not do that? I think we got a new crop of people coming in. They don't know yet that they did that. Trust me on this one. You did that. 
Romans 8. Even though I did that. Verse 28. We know that all things work together for good. For those who love love God to those who are the called according to his purpose. So I go back to Psalm 139. I go back to Jeremiah 29. Yeah, I got a purpose in my life. It was ordained before I was even born. And even though I mess up along the way, all things work together for good because it's going to draw me back to that purpose. And the end of that purpose is in verse 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now, once again, we can say it again. The end of the work of God is that the bride has made herself ready. She has fulfilled, verse 29. She has literally become the image of his son. We are truly a helpmate, a mate worthy of him. We will be like him. Everybody got that part? That's how you become your witness. With one more word thrown in for fun. Thlipsis. Greek word for tribulation. Thlipsis. The crushing of you. The crushing of the grape and of the, of the, uh, of the olive. The grape for the wine of your covenant. The olive for the anointing of your calling. You get crushed by life. Now you can run away from it. Or you can stay in the work of it. Many of you have done exactly that. And you find the truth of what Paul found. That flipses, tribulation, is the door into the kingdom of God. The calling of my life. If I want to go through all those works and become what he wanted me to be, get ready for tribulation. It's part of what you go through. It creates a good thing in you. It crushes that which you don't need, and it puts the heavenly version of what you need in you. Okay? So we rejoice. We, the Bible says that we rejoice in tribulations, or at least we're supposed to. Maybe you can start doing that today. These are the things that create in you a testimony. You find yourself walking this way, and I, to, even unto destruction. And then the, the wonderful little saying, but God. But God moved. But God intercepted my life. And God changed the direction I was going. But God saved me from me. I have a witness of the power of God to the glory of God, not me. Because you're going to look at me, it's crap. Pardon me. But it is. And Paul says, I count it all but crap. That I might know him. That was Philippians 3. Paraphrase, as Dwayne would say. All right, so that's how you become a witness. And if you have a witness, then you will begin to take on the kingdom, which cannot be shaken. There's a kingdom that can be shaken. That shaking is coming. If you take on the tribulation and all these things, then you will overcome all the stuff that goes on in your life. Instead of making it a sad song, you make it a song of deliverance. We have overcome, which is the theme of the book of Revelation. If you don't overcome, you're in trouble. But we're supposed to overcome. 
And if we overcome, then God is going to use our life and bring glory to himself through our life. He's going to let us use our life to be a witness who actually walks in the spirit of prophecy. I said all that to get to the spirit of prophecy. I have been thinking about this for a long time. You know, uh, my life <laughs> hasn't been what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> really? You know, I really thought it was going to be cool. And, uh, you know, a lot of money and really nice race cars. Like Mustangs. It's been glimpses instead. And what I thought I was going to do, I didn't do any of that. I ended up here, preaching to people. And then God began to move on my life. And here's how he operates. He, he shapes you. Now, I, I, I have been sensing this spirit of prophecy for quite a while. I mean, it's like one of those words that's a pregnant word all of a sudden. There's something there that I need to go and find out about. Because it's like it's a different entity or a different expression of the Holy Spirit. Let's put it that way. The Bible says in the book of Revelation that there are seven spirits of God. Y'all realize that? Now, I'm not going to get into some weirdness here and see how many, you know, angels can dance on the head of a pen all that kind of stuff. I'm just saying that there's a, there's a lot more to this than sometimes we realize. I would say there's, the word, even the word seven there is probably just sort of a, uh, an emblem. There's a, a completeness of the Spirit of God. There's many manifestations of the Spirit of God. Not just the number seven, but maybe 7,000. It could be a bunch of different ways that the Holy Spirit ministers and, and expresses himself. One of them is the Spirit of Prophecy. It's an interesting spirit. Now, the plan of salvation, the plan of redemption, has always been unveiled throughout time through the spirit of faith, but primarily through the spirit of prophecy. Now, what I'm telling you right now is stuff I have studied extensively here lately. I have been on a, on a search through all of the, the, the resources that are at my at my beck and call. I have an amazing church uh, uh, Bible software called the Theolo- Well, you don't need to know it. It's, it's an amazing stuff, Lebronics. And I have access to like 2,000 books through that software. Plus all the books that were written by the church fathers back when they took the church over from the disciples. That's another two or 3,000 books. So all the, all the information of, of the church age is now available through computers. It's amazing. You can do a search on something. I mean, you can find everything that was written about women in ministry that, for 2,000 years or even further back. It's awesome. Well, you get buried by that, but sometimes it's really effective. So some of the things I'm going to tell you I found out through this research, but none of it matters unless God has started to move on you first. I'm speaking to these guys that want to be ministers. There's nothing like God first saying something to you. 
You can read the books all you want to. It just does nothing. But when God is igniting something and drawing you to it, then all of a sudden, man, you can find things that matter. All right? The spirit of prophecy. Now, I see if I can get this out of you. Because some of the stuff I want to, it's just stuff I've read. Some of the stuff I have experienced. But I know that the plan of salvation, the plan of the revelation of God's redemption has come through the spirit of prophecy. Now, here's how it comes. It comes through men. The spirit of prophecy comes through men who prophesy and then maybe write it out, like Isaiah, for example. We call him a prophet. Well, the spirit of prophecy would come on this guy, and he would say, thus says the Lord. Or several of these prophets in the Old Testament, they would write down what the spirit of prophecy was given to them. Now, remember this. What we saw, what we saw in Revelation is the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So when this spirit of prophecy would move on these guys, the test of whether or not it was true was does it in some fashion point to Jesus Christ? Does it direct you to him in some way? Does it speak of what he went through or will go through? Does it have the character of him? Or is it about just you? Because you know a lot of people do that. They prophesy or whatever, but it's really about them. Can we take up an offering now? That's the truth. So throughout time, these men, primarily or some women, the spirit of prophecy would come on them and they would write down what was they were getting. There was another branch of the same thing. It came upon Moses to write the law. That was by the Holy Spirit. He wrote all that stuff down. The third major branch of it was through the Psalms. Literally poetry. They are called spiritual songs. That section of the books. The great majority of them were written by David. And many of them are what we call messianic Psalms. They literally are the testimony of Jesus ministered through a guy. Okay? He would speak about Things, and it would only find its fulfillment when Jesus came. Do you realize that many of the things that Jesus went through were so that he could fulfill, as he said, everything that was written of him in the law, in the prophets, and in the Psalms. So all those three areas were authored by the Holy Spirit of prophecy moving through people. And he came to fulfill all they said because the spirit of prophecy always testifies about Jesus. All right? So he came to fulfill all that. The really interesting stuff is the stuff that David wrote, especially as you get to the cross. Because many of the things that happened on the cross, you can find what Jesus went through and said, if you go back and read the Psalms, read Psalm 69. Read Psalms 40 and come back and tell me, was he not talking about Jesus? Yes. Word after word that came out of Jesus' mouth were said by David 1,500 years before. <laughs> so, how did David get that stuff? That's where I want to go today. How did he get all that stuff? The Bible says, well... One of these, these researchers, these commentators said this, God knows how to prepare his witnesses. 
He prepares his witnesses for the work that they are going to do for him. So how does he prepare a person that's going to be a witness for Jesus centuries later? How did he prepare Joseph? He took a man who was just like the 11th in the last. I mean, he was the 11th of 12 children. So he was kind of like an afterthought almost. But he took a man and started working on him. And by the Holy Spirit, he'd give this man dreams to the point where he was called a filthy dreamer. Because all his dreams had stuff to do with, like, all his brethren worshiping before him. That he was set up and they were all down here. It got him kicked out of the family. His own brothers betrayed him and sold him into slavery. And so that's what it got for him, this spirit of prophecy. Kicked out of the family. Into a different country where he was in a, a man's house. And then he got, on top of that, accused of something he didn't do. Accused of trying to hit on this guy's wife when really it was his wife trying to hit on him. So he was accused wrongly. Just like everybody in prison today. It was a wrong deal. <laughs> accused wrongly. Put in jail for I don't know how long. A few years. Couldn't get out even though he was telling everybody what their dreams was. He was getting them out. And finally, on, at the end of all that, became the leader of the entire nation that was the greatest nation on the earth. How does God prepare an organ? How does he prepare a witness? They live it. They live it. Daniel lived it. How did he become the leader of the next great nation that was on the earth, Babylon? Well, he was not thrown into jail. Not just any jail. A den of lions. How about that one? Would you like to try to live through that? Don't you think you come out with a witness that Jesus is the lion of Judah? He is the alpha male. He can stomp the mouths of lions and deliver you. And he became the leader or, you know, the confidant to the leader of three kings in Babylon. God knows how to prepare his vessels through their life experiences. And their life experiences become their sermon. And the spirit of prophecy is the author of that sermon. It becomes their testimony of Jesus. You know, but most of the time, you don't even know what's going on with you. You have no idea. What is going on with me? You know, what, 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 why did that happen? So here's how it works. It begins to work in you. And all you can do is just speak about what you feel. Experience after experience. Of what you, what happened to you, what it feels like, and, and I don't know what this means, but what it's waiting for is the spirit of prophecy is just waiting for the spirit of revelation to ignite it. And then finally you, you say, oh, that's why it happened to me. I've lived my whole life this way. I have lived my entire life this way. I didn't even know it until yesterday. No, I'm just kidding. The whole period of my life has been one experience after the other. And I didn't even know what it was about. But I knew it was running in me and just causing stuff to come out of me. But it always pointed to God. You know, I, for example, here's one for you guys. 
when I got saved and then called to the ministry, I was started to go to, to divinity school because I thought that's what you do. And God said, no, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh No divinity school for you. And I now know why. He had other revelations to show me that I would never have gotten there. In fact, they would have warred against what he wants to show me. So I went a different route, and my life became my lesson plan. I never knew anything about healing of past hurts until I started living in a situation that required it. Never even heard of it before. And then I found out it was all over the place. I never knew that God was going to restore all things, even though I'd read the Bible. I never knew that that was his big plan, to restore all things, until I found my life in the middle of all things getting blown up. Thing after thing after thing. And I... Not knowing why these things were happening, yet at some point the spirit of revelation would would hit me and show me this is what it's all about. Jesus restores all things. Am I making sense to y'all? I think most of you have lived your life that way. Susan and I. That was a good one. How did that make you feel? Did that stir anybody up? It should have been me. I'm serious. You want to get real? I live my life trying to keep people married. And then God takes my wife and says, I have another one for you. Really? And and thus becomes the quest to find a 64-year-old virgin. Right? That's what you would look for, right? You're a minister. Oh, no, no, no. She's married. Prophecy kept coming at me. She's married. What did you expect at 64? A 64-year-old virgin. Good luck. And then he started ministering to me. Do you want to see what the bridegroom looks like? Look at David. Oh, David. Okay, cool. That was a prophecy. Does it point to Jesus? Oh, yeah. Jesus is the root and the fruit of David. And you want to see what the bridegroom is? Jesus is? Look at that. Look at his, his root and his fruit. David. Okay. What's the, bride, what's the bridegroom like? Well, look at David's wives. Which ones? Oh, there's three that you should point out. I'm going to give you the, th- the second one, Abigail. I'm going to give you an Abigail. How does that make you feel? An Abigail. Wasn't she married? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She's married to a fool. So let's name that. Name a fool. So I want to take her from him and give her to David. Am I hurting you? Am I stretching you? You should live a prophetic life. I'm going, okay, I guess I I can sort of accept that. You know, there's a, somewhere out in the body of Christ, there's a woman and a man. She's, she's an Abigail. He's, you know, doesn't know it. And you're going to give me her. Cool. And here comes another line. She's in your church. Oh, that's it. <laughs> It'd be okay if it was a church down the road. 
And it took me a long time to get to that place. But not in my church. And then he says, oh, so you are the Pharisee of Pharisees. I guess I am. Folks, this is what happens to you when you live in a prophetic life. Things begin to move in your life. None of it makes sense. And then God makes sense out of it. And it always should point to him. And you'll know wisdom by its fruits. And all I can say, what do you think now? Y'all hear me? I'm busting your religious bubbles because God busted mine. Now, the last little iteration of that is I go to California, uh, to vacation. Well, y'all know my history of vacations. That's another example of living in a prophetic life. My God, what are you supposed to do on vacation? Recreate. Take a break. Nothing. They got worse and worse and worse. And shorter and shorter and shorter. So the last one with Phyllis was one day. Up there, break leg, come back. That was the second time she broke a leg. The time before, it was the year before. No end to this stuff. Because God's trying to birth revelation and a spirit of prophecy that will testify of Jesus. So I, I get a new one. Everything's new. We're going to go vacation. But I must say, I was a little bit concerned. And I should have been. Because things, the wheels came off again for me. She's having a great time. I mean, from the time before we left, the day before we left, it started happening again. Oh, my God. And all through that time, Stuff started coming at me from every angle. And it was freaking her out. And I finally, I mean, after like days of this, I mean, she was freaking out because I was not acting, shall we say, my best. I couldn't stop it, the stuff that was coming. And I finally stopped her and I said, look, welcome aboard. You have to understand the way God deals with someone like me. It ain't normal. I don't like it. And I ain't perfect in it, but I know how God deals with me. He's dealing with me right now. And I'll tell you what I think he's ministered to me right now. I think he's trying to show me how to become one of the two witnesses at the end. I said that in August. Here comes Al Houghton. He says, you should go you should read that, uh, watch that movie, The Two Witnesses. <laughs> Seriously. And it's all about the church and the, and the Jewish church becoming the two witnesses in the book of Revelation. Your life becomes your sermon. The spirit of prophecy is its author. Amen? Okay. I said all that <laughs> to bring you a revelation from the spirit of prophecy. I got it last time I was here. We were together. Are y'all ready for something new? This is new. Yeah, I don't think you've heard this one. Because I, I never heard it. We were sitting there together. And he says, you know, the church is going to have to deal with three issues. Abortion, gang, uh, gang, gang marriage, that too. 
gay marriage, and Islam. And all of a sudden, I just blurted this out. That sounds just like the three frogs of Revelation. Revelation 16. Turn there, please. Revelation 16. I hadn't read this in any book and didn't hear it anywhere. It just, bam! And I mean, when I said that, we both just kind of sat there stunned. Both of us. We thought, hey, neither one of us had ever heard this. And it took two to bring this thing out. So I said, the three frogs. Revelation 16, verse 12. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up, so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits, like frogs, coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are the spirits of demons, performing signs, which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them together to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And they gathered them together to the place called in Hebrew, Armageddon. And look at the caption of the next verse. The earth is utterly shaken. Uh, Whoa. Because, see, we had been talking in that time. There is a shaking coming. And everything that can be shaken will be shaken. But there is a kingdom that cannot be shaken. If you want to walk in that kingdom, then be a kingdom man. Get out of your, get out of your country, get out of your culture, and get out of your family, and go to another place that I will call for you. Get out of there. Go there. Because the shaking is coming. And what sets up the shaking? The three frogs. And they come out of those three mouths. And I even said, I think they come out of these mouths. So stay with me. I ain't through. That's just the first level of it. Here comes, which one is which? Well, Revelation 12. No, not Revelation. Genesis 3. The first one, they come out of the mouth of the dragon. That is the issue of abortion. The dragon. Genesis 3. We know the story. Eve messed us up. That's the story. Right, guys? And all the men go, well, yeah, well, maybe. Yeah, right. So they both messed up. She was deceived. And he went with her. Adam did. And so here comes God with the plan of salvation, the plan of redemption that he had already had in his heart. Before there was any of this stuff that has taken place. We said that earlier. Okay? He knew it was going to happen. His plan was in place. And here's the first level of his plan of redemption. Right here. He addresses their problem. And look at verse 14. So the Lord said to the serpent, Because you've done this, you are cursed more than all cattle 
and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. Look at verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. And to the woman, he says, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Or the rule still is you want to rule him. So, what was God's original first step in the plan? For the woman to bring forth a seed, right? And the devil to try to stop her. What does abortion do? Stops it. Revelation 12. That's the I mean, he set it up before we ever saw it coming. And by the way, ladies, he still hates you. And what can I say? Bummer of a birthmark there, dude. Being a woman. Revelation 12. Nobody gets jokes anymore. Revelation 12, this is one of those amazing scriptures in the Bible. The whole chapter of Revelation 12 is what I call an all-encompassing chapter. It covers the entire spectrum of the plan. Okay? There is no time limit on this chapter. From the very beginning of the ages to the very end of the ages, this chapter plays. Pretty cool. Chapter 12, let's start reading. Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Of course, that looks like Israel to me, does it not you? All right, then being with child, she's pregnant, she cries out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great fiery red dragon, there's a dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. His tail drew a third part of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. Abortion. By the way, look over in verse 9. That great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old, called the devil and Satan. So the dragon is Satan. Amen? So out of the mouth of this guy, this manifestation of the devil, goes forth this spirit... To deceive the nations and saying abortion is okay. Even a birthright. If you're born in America. And the church has just punted on it. Amen. Thank you. You're welcome. Let's keep reading here. Um, let's read the whole thing. And she flays into the wilderness, there's war in heaven, and the dragon's cast out. Let's just pick it up in verse 9 again. The great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused him before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. And by the word of their testimony, testimony, witness, who's he fighting? Folks, who's he fighting? Those with the testimony. In fact, back up. I would just say it right there. They did not love their lives to death. Keep reading. 
Therefore rejoice, verse 12, O heavens, and you dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. The devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows he has a short time. Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time, times, and a half time, three and a half years from the presence of the serpent. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the woman helped the, the earth helped the woman. The earth opened his mouth, swallowed up the flood, which the dragon had spewed out. Verse 17. And the dragon was enraged with the woman and went out to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of Jesus, of God and, and do what? And have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Who's he fighting? Those who have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Amen? The same guy who stood before uh, John said, Look, the bride, I'm like your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And the testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. So who's this dragon fighting against? You. And what are you supposed to do with him? Fight back. Overcome. Who's doing it? The dragon. There's one. The beast. The dragon has the abortion. Beast has Islam. Islam. Of course, Islam is a false Christ doctrine. Y'all do realize that. It's the, it's the moon god. Have you ever seen the crescent thing? That's, that's Ashtaroth. It's a Baal and Ashtaroth religion. They have a false religion that, that Abraham got it all messed up. It wasn't Isaac that the promise was going to come through. It was Ishmael. False Christ. And it continually fights against the things of God over that one issue. Islam comes out of the Antichrist. The false, the, the beast. Okay? I'll show you what I mean. Um, Revelation 13. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads, ten horns, on his he- uh, horns, ten crowns, on his heads of blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, feet like the lion, uh, feet of a bear, mouth like a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. So he's off, obviously satanic. And just look down at verse 5. He was given a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies, and given authority to continue. For how long, guys? How long is that? Three and a half years. Is that the same time as we saw over here? This woman fleeing for three and a half years? Three and a half years. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God. To blaspheme, this is what Islam does, verse 6. He blasphemes God, blasphemes God's name, which is Jesus Christ, his tabernacle, which is Jerusalem, and those who dwell in heaven. That's what Islam does, still doing it. It was granted to him to make war with the saints. There's your witnesses again. Saints. And to overcome them. Authority was given to him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life, of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall be led into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here's the patience and the faith of the saints. Those are your witnesses again. And what you just read is the same thing as in, in Revelation 11 about the two witnesses. Whatever is done against them will come right back at the people who do it. 
Here's the patience in the face of the saints. If you're going to cut at them with, with the sword, they're going to die by the sword. Did I go too fast for y'all? There's a lot of stuff right there. We'll unveil more, more of that later. There's your beast. By the way, look over in 2 Thessalonians real quick. 2 Thessalonians, verse 2, chapter 2, verse 1. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, we're obviously talking about this issue, and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as it as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no man deceive you by any means. So deception is going to be an issue coming forward, going forward, folks. Kid you not. Deception. For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. This is the Antichrist. Now look what he does in verse 4. He opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. That's Islam. And they're going to try to go right at the temple that's going to be constructed in Jerusalem. And that guy's going to sit there and say, I am God and Islam is the way. You watch. And what kills me is people are going to believe him. Because this frog coming out of this mouth of this guy is deceiving nations. And it's already deceiving the church. Because many churches are now saying there's more than one way. And look, verse 9, the coming of the lawless one. That's the Antichrist, the beast, according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders. We read that in Revelation. With all unrighteous deception among those who perished because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe this lie, and they will all be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. The deception not comes just from the three frogs. It comes from God to those who do not love his truth. You're in trouble. You're either committed or you're in trouble. There's your beast and the frog that comes out of his mouth. The last one, the last frog that comes out that brings all men to a place where they would fight God is gay marriage. That is already in the church. That's the false prophet who of all people should be speaking for God. But even the Pope is to the place now where he thinks maybe that's okay to be gay married. And the mainline churches are full of this stuff. We have lost our way. What kills me is that the church itself is not hearing those who are bringing the spirit of prophecy forward and saying, we're supposed to be just like him. And we are calling evil good and good evil. How do we do that? We have other agendas. So that if it were possible, even the elect will be deceived. It's coming. And I'll give you an example of it. It's already here. Have you noticed that the the demonic hordes have just been unleashed since January? It's unbelievable. 
What really blew me away was what happened in Virginia. You know, New York passes this abortion law, which is unbelievable. And then the governor of Virginia comes on board. And y'all read, y'all heard all that stuff, did you not? He comes as a doctor saying that, you know, the baby can be born and we'll keep it comfortable while the parents and the doctor decide whether they should go ahead and kill him or not. Yeah. I was on TV. Infanticide. Blew me away. But it didn't blow enough people away because of two or three days later, I'm watching Fox News for the first time in weeks, and there's a guy there it is again. Same guy. I, I Googled it. Hey, here's a Google, people. I Googled it. So we know it's true. That's the same guy. And this time he's in trouble like crazy. Why? Because 35 years ago, he was in some little play and he had on blackface. And so he was obviously a racist. That got him in more trouble. They mentioned nothing about the infanticide. In fact, most TV networks didn't even have that part on there. They focused on that one thing. Well, fast forward a week or two. I mean, they said, he's dead. You can't be a racist nowadays and say, you've got to go. But he promises all the people of his state that he has seen the light. And he's going to be sensitive to racism now. And they're going to go tear down all the statues. And read the books about being sensitive to race, including the book of Roots. Go read the movie. It's a good movie, Roots. And lead the people in repairing all the stuff that's ever been done through racism. And so 58% of the blacks in Virginia say, let him stay as our, as our governor. He is our leader now. 58% of the blacks. My God. Are any of them a Christian? I mean, I'd like to know. Because most black people say they are Christians. Just being truthful. And yet, that's not good enough to trump infanticide. Because the racism issue matters more. Does it not? This Cannot be stood. We cannot accept that. So here's what I see. I already see it in the church. There are elements running in the church, in among you, today, that will cause you. Now here's what I get. Even the leaders of these groups that I'm about to mention, the group itself and the leaders of those groups, to not only not hear those who have the testimony of Christ, and are operating in a spirit of revelation and prophecy that they've never heard before. They cannot hear it because they don't want to hear it because they've already got their agenda and these things matter more. That's the truth. And they resist the Word of God. And they will lead people into error and resist Christ, even fight Him. And because they don't receive the truth and they call evil good in the name of racism is more important then they will be sent a spirit of delusion from God himself. And they're going to face that daggum beast like nobody else.
You don't like that one. That's what's coming. Here's the, here's the areas that I see is already at work. Okay? It is uh, race, obviously. Sex. Well, it's for women's rights, then I don't care what. We must go with women's rights. That's where your abortion ends up. Politics. Well, we've always been Republicans. And by God, we're going to do it. Go to California. You're not going to find no Republicans there. Do you find Christians there? I wonder. I just wonder. How can you be both? I want to vote for Democrats. Really? They support abortion. They support gay marriage. They support infanticide. They support Islam. They'll crucify you if, you, if you're Islamophobic. And you're going to support them. Seriously. That matters more to you than what God says he hates. I'm not messing with anybody. There's more. Money? Oh, boy. There's a fertile one. Well, now, now brother, this is just business. Far out. What do you see what God has to say about that one? You're going to love it. And then the last one is just your religion. Your doctrines. Let me tell you something about the doctrines of the end time. I don't think anybody who is not called to live in it and have the testimony of Jesus, who has to walk through this crap and understand what it feels like to have things going south on you just so you can reveal something you don't know? How can they ever talk about the bride of Christ when they've never been there yet? How can they talk about the end time when they not even know what it talks about in times like that? Oh, no, we're out of here. Really, who wrote that? Somebody who suffered for the revelation? Somebody who was prepared by God like Joseph? Really, who wrote that? Did I offend most of you? It should. It should. God is shaking the things that can be shaken. And he's trying to show you something you don't know yet. But you better learn it. Because it ain't what you went told. Did I make everybody happy? How about tacos tonight? Did that make sense to y'all? Did it make sense? Three frogs. And ever since then, my spirit prophecy comes on me every once in a while. And I just pop something out. You read one. And it's like, oh my God. It's happening. It's happening right now. Do you have any questions? Ask Susan. Now let's pray. God, get me out of here. You know, God, we don't know what we don't know. And I just want to say I don't know. Most of the things that you want to tell us. So I hope, God, you will give us the grace of humility. Please do that. And let us bow down to say, God, show me. And put line upon line, precept upon precept, 
and prepare your people. In Jesus' name, amen.